Welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we once again dig into the Proverbs in our series, Proverbially Speaking. I, I love getting to explore a proverb like the one we're going through right now, chapter 30, looking at Agur and, and what he observes about the world, because we often, if we read Proverbs, kind of read it in just single individual Proverbs, which is the case for many of them. They're meant to be taken that way. But then we approach a larger set like this one, and we miss out on how it's so interconnected. But here we are called to actually pull them together. And, and as we do, and as we saw last week and the week before, as we do that, we start to see that these individual pieces, which are striking on their own, are even more striking put together. Tonight, Agur is going to challenge us to reflect on God's wisdom. And as we do, to see how sin often corrupts it and how God offers us a way back into the wonder. So let's come before our God in prayer, and then we'll dig in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonder of the creation that you've made. The wonder that you, you've placed us in it, that you allow us to exist, that you allow us to, to delight in your world, that you allow us to delight in you. Lord, when we get pulled away by our own sinful hearts and the temptations of the world, would you pull us back? When we when we struggle to see the wonder of your creation, would you help us to be reawakened to it? And as we reflect on this, these, these verses tonight, and we reflect on what you have made that they, re, they point us to, would you help us to better understand you and your love? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Think about this world for a moment. Many part of it. It's pretty amazing. Think about where we live. It's pretty amazing, too. And I, I remember, for those of us that live in St. Louis, maybe we're kind of accustomed to this. People often look down on us. They, they're kind of surprised oftentimes if they get to know St. Louis by what a neat city it really is. But, but it's often looked down upon. I remember in seminary, probably, I would bet two-thirds of the people going, even though it was in a suburb of St. Louis, weren't from the area. They weren't from anywhere near the area. And they were often surprised by how interesting St. Louis was. All the fine food we have of, of different cultures and, and oftentimes by all the amazing museums we have. And I remember in particular one conversation I was having that some of my friends were talking. They were all from out of state. And, and one of them had been to the St. Louis Art Museum. And, and he'd seen some original masterpieces there that, that are well known around the world. And, and he just looked at us and said, what's all that great art doing here? I mean, he was stunned that it was here in St. Louis. And as these these friends of mine got to know the area more, they were amazed by the food. They were telling their friends elsewhere that they should make sure to try out all the cuisine in St. Louis that they came here. And they should see the museums and how wonderful it was that many of them were free and, and, and how really great this city is. Something else striking about that, though, and, and I mean, I love St. Louis, so it didn't completely strike me, but even for someone like me who, who loves to tell people about our city and how great it is, it still struck me watching with the wonder these friends had as they started to experience the city. And sometimes we become so accustomed to it. We become accustomed even to, 
to pretty grand things like the St. Louis Arch or the Art Museum or the zoo, these things that not every city has one like what we have. We become so accustomed to them that they don't really spark any wonder in us any longer. You look at the natural beauty of our state and oftentimes we drive right through it and we're not really filled with wonder because we're just accustomed to it. Of course we have these beautiful hills and bluffs and rivers and streams. We do that with the world in general. And, and when we stop and we pause and, and for a moment we say, what's this wonder doing here in this world? Yes, this is a broken world, but, but what about all this wonder? Well, when we actually stop and do that, we start to understand more about our creator who made all those things. We lose the wonder, but, but we're called to, to, at least in our own heads, and to use scripture to, to have that conversation like I was having with my friends where we stop and say, what's that doing here? And to go from that to understanding our God. And that's where Agur takes us tonight. If you'll turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18 with me, listen to what Agur says. He says, three things are too wonderful for me, for I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. Interesting list, and, and there's several of them that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, um, and it follows a particular formula. This is a, a ancient Near Eastern formula. It's familiar in scripture, where it'll say there are three things and then four things, and what he's saying here is, here's, we talked about this a few weeks ago, here is a sampling, and, and in that he describes different wonders of the world, and, and so what he's really calling us to think about is not just those four things, but but the things in general of this creation that God has made. To take wonder in the created order of God's world. To see things doing what they were meant to do, and to think, wow, this is amazing. What wonder it is that God has made our world like this. And we see that with each of these things that he lists out. We see it with the eagle. You see a majestic eagle soaring in the sky, and and how can you not be filled with some wonder? You look at that and think, wow, it'd be really pretty neat to fly like that. They're beautiful. They're majestic. You look at a snake slithering along, moving at incredibly high speeds oftentimes on a surface like a rock. And you think, how in the world does that snake do that? I'm a shutterbug and I, I, I like to try to get pictures of things and I'll see a little snake sunning itself and I'll try to get a picture. And oftentimes the little snake slithers away so fast I can't get the picture. It's amazing how quickly they can go. And so Agur says, I look at that little snake and it fills me with wonder. He looks at a ship at sea and says, isn't it amazing that a ship can float through the sea? He looks at, at people falling in love and says, isn't it amazing how God pulls people together? All these things are amazing and they're part of God's creation. Now, why these things? And this is the part that's sort of challenging addressing this particular passage. Because commentators don't agree on exactly why Agur picked these four things. Some have said, well, they're all things that, that don't leave a trail. They just kind of happen. Or they're all things that are sort of mysterious. And certainly the list is mysterious. I'm not sure that we can solve that problem. And preparing this message tonight, I actually struggled a long time because I was trying to solve that problem. Why did Agur pick these four things? And... I'm really not quite sure why he picked these exact four, but what I think he was trying to do 
doesn't really depend on us understanding why he wanted these four, or why God inspired him to write these four. What really matters is that there are four examples of God's created order. And as we look at that order and we look at that well beyond just those four, because that's what this list is encouraging us to do, we say, wow, God has made an incredible world, a beautiful world, a majestic world. And, and even though this world is broken and even though there's fallen people in it and, and even though it's not perfect, we look at these four examples and we say, the one who made it is an awfully loving and wonderful an imaginative and creative being. He's the one that invites us to know him. What an incredible thing that is. We admire the creator by everything he's made. And in that, this reminds me of one of my very favorite Psalms, Psalm 19. Take a look at these words. They, they probably sound pretty familiar. Certainly we've referenced them on Steadfast and, and related little hill services before, but, but just listen to them. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the ends of the, the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. David, in that psalm, marvels at, at just the, the beauty of the wonders of God's creation. Very much like Agur. Both of them remind us, look at this world, look at how it functions, look at the things we take for granted, like the sun rising and setting. And think for a moment just how amazing it is. Think how beautiful it is. And if we really do that, if, if we, we stop and we think this is what God made and he made it specifically for his creation. He made it for us to enjoy and for us to, to know him through that enjoyment of it. And we think about that. It should fill us with wonder and a desire to do his will and a desire to know him more and a desire to enjoy our God. But sometimes we seem to get lost in the process of that. We, we, we see it and we have the basic information and yet somehow it doesn't translate in our heads the way it should. I saw a story a few weeks ago about some signs they put up in Wales. And it, it, it's sort of funny, but it's funny, but also makes me a little nervous because I feel like it would be sort of the thing that I would do by accident. You see, they wanted to put these signs in Wales and and. United Kingdom law requires Welsh signs to have both English and Welsh on them, but apparently the people putting up the signs only knew English. And so they emailed off the translations to a Welsh translator. Well, they got an email back that was in Welsh, and, and so they, they cut and pasted the the email and what it said on it into their document that they're creating the sign. They had the sign made. They erected the sign. This actually happened apparently several different times. And so their starting point, their English sign was no entry for heavy goods vehicles, residential site only. Straightforward enough. Now for the Welsh speaking amongst those reading the sign, though, it said, I am not in the office at the moment. Send any work to be translated. They got in an autoresponder and because they didn't 
fully comprehend what they were doing. They didn't know Welsh. They didn't know. They thought they'd just gotten a really fast response. They put it on the sign and they have an out of office email posted as a highway sign. There was, it was lost in translation. And so they missed the point and got plenty of people to be chuckling at them too. Well, sometimes though, it's not a particularly funny thing because we look at the wonder of creation. We miss the point of who the creator is. And we, we take that good that he gives us and, and distort it. We see that as we go on in what appears to be an almost separate proverb in verse 20. Take a look at it. It says, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. What does that have to do with the previous proverb? Some people have argued, well, it's just a separate proverb. It's just floating there. But when we, when we look at this overall picture of what we have from Agar, as I, I've mentioned over our series, these are interconnected pieces. He's developing an overall view of the world and of creation. And here we shouldn't miss that he begins that statement with the very same sort of phrasing that he used in the previous two verses. He says, this is the way. And if you look back at the way he talks about 18 and 19, he talks about those four wonders. Each one is the way of, the way of the eagle, the way of the serpent, the way of the ship, and the way of a man. And so when we read the way of an adulteress, it's meant to actually connect to that. And it's no coincidence that he talks about the man and the woman and then goes into the adulteress. He's saying, here's a perversion of what it's talking about as a wonder. And so what I think he's really doing, and I think that ties in if we understand those first four as an example of all of creation, is that it's very easy to take those good things and pervert them and to use them in a way that draws us away from God. And, and the, the problem really centers on here in, in verse 20, someone who isn't having any wonder at the creator. She's not looking at what God has done for her. She's not looking at the wonder of God's gifts. She's looking at what she can do to please herself in the moment and then move on. And, and so what we see is that while the appropriate path of wonder is to go from the wonder itself to the wonder giver. What she's really doing is going from the wonder to herself. And so often we do that. We, we see the wonder and we send it off to the translator and it comes back in a language we don't understand and we just run with it. We're putting up out of the office emails on highway signs. But God calls us not to do that. What do we do? What's the appropriate response when, when we reflect on the wonders of God's creation? We turn to the wonder giver and his word so that there isn't a loss of, in translation, but we actually understand more about who he is. We go on in Psalm 19. This is immediately after what I was just reading about the, the splendor of creation. Listen how it goes on. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making, the, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them, there is great reward. 
Psalm 19 looks first at the creation and says, wow, look at this creator and what he has made. Then it says, turn to his word. See what he's actually called us to be and to do and follow that. It doesn't leave us in the creation. And I believe Eger's structure here in Proverbs is doing something very similar in a very picturesque way. Saying that so often we move from the wonder to a perversion of it rather than paying attention to what is pleasing and good and wise and true from our God. And in that, in the moment, it can seem very good, but it's ultimately corrosive. It's sort of like, and no offense to any of you that like it, but I struggle with sugar substitutes. I I like sugar and I like sugar in things, but I've tried the different sugar substitutes over the years and they always bother me. Now, some of them just don't taste right. You think back to, and it's become much less available, but aspartame or NutraSweet as it was called. And, and the sodas always had that awful aftertaste afterwards when they had it in them. And then there's, there are newer ones like Splenda and, and maybe it's purely in my head, but knowing that they've actually attached a chlorine molecule to the sugar molecule to make it so that it's supposed to be healthier. I, I'm always absolutely positive my throat was burning by the time I've finished drinking something with it in it. And so it goes with the different ones. There's always something that bothers me. But it's not completely crazy either. For example, we know that many of the sugar substitutes over the years actually have long-term health effects that are are terrible. And that seems to be true of aspartame. It seems to be true of saccharin, some of those others that have been used over the years. And so in the moment, maybe it allows for enjoyment. It tastes sweet and we're, we're craving something sweet. But we realize that in the end, we'd probably be better off with just plain old sugar. Now, I'm not being paid by the sugar lobby here. Uh, but you think about it, and that's sort of what what we're dealing with. Oftentimes when we pervert the wonder of creation, in the moment we taste the sweetness of it, but it's corrosive. God calls us instead to go from the wonder and that craving for that wonder, to embrace it as he actually made it, and to enjoy it as he actually made it. And that way is not eating away at us, but actually we're being filled more with that wonder and the knowledge of the one who made it. How do we avoid falling into wonder substitutes? Well, we do that by reading God's word. We do that by seeing how God intended us to experience that word. So that as we experience the wonder of creation, we're experiencing it in a way that's healthy and good for us. That allows us to to use those things to understand God more, rather than using them simply to momentarily make ourselves happy and then find ourselves actually more broken. It's so amazing when we actually get to experience God's wonder as he intends. But I think if we look in our own hearts, if we look in our own lives, we realize that that the idea of perverting God's wonders, of misusing them, isn't something that's just in the abstract. It's something that each of us experience. Each of us has places we struggle with sin, and, and in those places, we take those wonders of God's creation and we misuse them. It's not something that some people do. It's something that every person on this earth, other than the one perfect person, Jesus, has done and will do. So then what do we do? What do we do when we realize we've been loading up on on sugar substitutes and our throat's burning and and we're suffering long-term health effects and we're just miserable? What do we do then? We turn to our God. We continue on in Psalm 19. Thomas says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back 
your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What does this psalm say? Well, it goes from from wonder at creation to the the calling to study God's word and to be convicted and to follow the right law of God, to do what God says is good, to contemplating how we fall into sin. And notice what the psalmist says. He doesn't say, don't fall into sin. He says, God, help me so that I don't fall into sin. Take me from where I am now and make me blameless. Psalmist doesn't assume that he is blameless, but that he needs God's help to become blameless. That's where we are. And we can join in with David and say, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We can pray that prayer, recognizing that oftentimes the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart are not acceptable. But our God can transform our words and the heart that puts them out and make them more like his. This is a calling not to to beat ourselves up and to struggle and to say, I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to have enough wonder. I'm never going to hold on to what God's called me to be and to do. It's not that. It's a calling instead to look at that wonder, to turn to the wonder that God has given us his word, and then turn to our God and say, God, I often misuse the wonders of your creation. I often misuse the wonder of your word, and I need you to transform me. Really, if you think about it, if we look at this as a picture of who God is, and indeed our world is, and the the goodness of it is a picture of our God, it reminds us that he's a good and loving heavenly father, someone who, who wants us to come to him, who wants us to actually say to him, I want to wonder in you, God. And whatever you're struggling with tonight, wherever you are that you're feeling uncertain, wherever you are that, that you look in your own life and you see the imperfection and you say, I, I can't even wonder properly anymore. It's a calling to, to turn to him and pray that same prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. Not because I'm acceptable in my own strength, Lord, but because you can bring that about in my life. It's a call to rest. It's called a rest in the wonder, ultimately, not just of this creation or even of God's word, but the greatest promise we find in there, which is God's forgiveness and restoration through Jesus. When we turn to him and we wonder at the cross, he restores us. Then he gives us fresh eyes to wonder at the rest of what he has made. Would you pray with me, please? Father, for all the ways that we have lost wonder, for all the ways that, that we fall short of where you've called us to be, Lord, we, we pray this day that, that you would restore the wonder. Most of all, that you would restore the wonder in the power of your grace. That the place we'd find the most wonder is at the foot of the cross. That wherever we realize that we've misused the wonders of the world, wherever we've misused the wonders of your word, wherever we've ignored the wonder of you, that, that by your power you would transform us and turn us towards you. That you would give us the confidence to lay our burdens down before you 
knowing that you are the good and wonderful God who made every wonder. And at the height of that wonder is your love that you give to us. We pray in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. Because as you look at maybe the wonders of the night sky tonight, and you, and you hear the symphonies of the frogs and the crickets and, and everything else in God's creation, as you go out tomorrow and you see the wonders of this world, remember that each of them testifies to the God who loves you. And, and maybe there's someone that you know who needs to hear that, that God loves him or her. And, and you may not even realize they're struggling right now. So would you consider sharing this video. Share it on your Facebook or your Twitter. Your, uh, you can mention it on Instagram. You could send it via email. Call someone up and invite them over and watch it with them. Ask them, let's dig into God's word together. Because all of us at times are going to struggle with this and we can help each other to better understand God's word as we study it together. Also, if you've appreciated this video, please give it a like. It does help social media networks to know to share it with other people. I certainly do appreciate that. Next week, we're going to pick back up at 7 p.m. on Monday with this series looking at four more things, and these are unsettling things. We looked at wonder this week. We look at things that unsettle us next week. hope you'll join me for that. Also, on Sunday, we begin a brand new series for our in-person worship services entitled, Hey God, It's Dark Here. In that series, we're going to be exploring the minor prophet Habakkuk, and maybe you're thinking, who is Habakkuk? And I can't even really say Habakkuk, and... Why would I want to study that book? Well, I hope you'll come because as we go through the series, we're going to be looking at a prophet who actually comes before God and basically says, hey God, it's dark here. Why are things bad? Have you abandoned us? And in that, we'll be taken into a journey of not only God's judgment, and there was that there, but also God's grace and his steadfast love. I, I know it will be encouraging to you. So I hope you'll join us at 5.30 p.m. We're in person at 335 Drosty Road. We'd love to see you there. Or if you can't be there in person or you're not feeling well or for any other reason are hindered from being there in person, please do join us online. We would love to have you there. And we have a wonderful and welcoming online community that would love to share in that experience with you as well. So please do join us on Sunday nights for that. Also, we have our Psalms readings, which help us to reflect on our wonderful God. This week, we're going through Psalms 73, 74, and 75. Jim gave a, a really helpful devotional on Saturday that you can go back and play, guiding us through these three Psalms. And then I really hope that today and throughout the week, you'll stop by grow.faithtree.com, where you can leave a comment on the post for this week's readings and maybe share one of the verses in the psalm that really means something to you or, or share an insight or a question that you have. And we as a community can join together in discussion as we go through God's word together. And that is truly a wonder. If you have any prayers or questions, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. I love to hear from you. Or leave a comment in the comments below. It's always fun when we, when we can discuss things together. Can't wait to join you again next week and hopefully see you on Sunday night. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week in the meantime.